Good morning, Tabernacle. My name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors. I'm really glad that you're here with us here in person. Those of you worshiping with us in Manistee, those of you online. Um, just, I got this feeling happening. Is there somebody here from the Carolinas? Is there somebody? Anybody here from out of town? Over there? What, north or south? North. North. Okay, so either the Holy Spirit told me that or a heckler at the cafe told me that. Welcome, everybody. Welcome, North Carolina. Thanks. Hey, we're in uh, 1 Kings uh, chapter 3, verses 16 to the end, 28. Uh, and it's uh, going to be fun to, to dissect this a little bit. I'm excited about this. Um, I was thinking about reminiscing about childhood. I'm 63 years old, um, grew up with a, a whole family, uh, privileged, I guess. Uh, we, we weren't wealthy or anything like that, but my parents stayed together uh, and they did their best to love each other and us boys. Um, we had TV and I can remember growing up with TV. Uh, and early in childhood, we had a black and white TV that wasn't, it was not black and white like outside, that was the picture. And uh, it was awesome. It was this, this big deal to watch TV. And I was thinking about the shows that we would watch. And uh, there was the Mutual of Omaha Wild Kingdom. Anybody remember that? It's me, you old guys. And that was something my brother and I looked forward to on the weekends. And there was uh, Disney, back when Disney was Disney. Uh, that was on there. And then Bonanza. Uh, watched it. My mom was a Western nut and uh, knew all of the, all the characters. And it was fun to, to you know, grow up in, the, in that time of life. It was very innocent. And then we fast forward and I get married. Uh, and that was a very good thing. I don't want to like segue. I got married and then things went downhill. They, that's not it. Stop it. Uh, so we get married, and on occasion, my wife and I would travel somewhere, and we'd stay at a motel. And motels had this a fantastically amazing thing called cable TV. And we would watch cable TV together. And we'd sit there, and by watching, what that meant was for 45 minutes, I would flip channels, right? Like, oh my gosh, look, they have this and this and this. And she's just blinking over there going, I think I need to hit my husband, right? <laughs> Um, so, that, you know, there's this cable TV and then, oh, there's this vast variety and it's like, oh, variety is wonderful. It's really good. And, and you fast forward a little bit further and I'm at one of my brother's house and he happens to have cable TV and we're sitting down and, and they were going to watch some shows. So I'm sitting there conversing and let's watch his show. And the show came on that I had never seen and never heard of um, and really had no interest in, but I was with my brother and it was called Judge Judy. Anybody remember Judge Judy? And so that's way back, time machine kind of. And, you know, watching Judge Judy, and I'm this innocent northern Michigan boy, uh, and, you know, just pure as the driven snow. <laughs> and the show comes on, and by the end of the show, I'm kind of, like, empty. And I'm, I'm feeling just not a sense of loss, but a sense of I just spent time gaining nothing. And, you know, the show is basically there's, there's this woman named Judy who people come in and there's supposed to be real cases and all of these things. I, I, don't, I don't care about that. It was, it, was, it was filmed to make money was the case. And the, the arguments that were going on, you know, we would get a tiny bit of knowledge of what was going on in these people's lives that 
resulted in a conflict that they needed a judge to solve. Uh, and it was ludicrously dumb. And I thought, this is probably the worst thing that could ever be on TV. I think this is the beginning of the demise of America. And then next comes on, and, and it's called The Jerry Springer Show. And so I'm watching the Jerry Springer show, and it's this fantastic bit of people uh, coming in that are some of the most fantastically dysfunctional people on the planet. And they're put on public display, and, they, and even though they don't maybe realize that they're being humiliated in front of a national audience and under the guise of, hey, let's get to the bottom of stuff. You know, let's, let's help the world out. And again, it's just for money and it's entertainment. And I left that feeling sick. God, man, this is, you know, because what do we know about these people? You know, we don't, all we know is this part of the story, right? And it would often end up being, who's the dad? You know, which is such a weird concept to me. You know, it, it's like, well, in my world, the dad is the husband, right? Oh, that's pretty controversial, isn't it? You know, um, but, you know, I, I got there through this thing called wisdom, that, that that's how that works, you know, and, but we're human and we have free will and we can do what we want. And apparently there's a whole part of the world that does whatever they want. And Jerry Springer was really proud to show you that. So I left that feeling more than empty and more than convinced that this is the beginning of the downfall of Western civilization. If this is what we're glorifying, because you want to know why it was a success? Because people watched it. Did you ever watch it? Somebody said, oh, yeah. The rest of you go, no, I was really busy. Then. I, was, I was busy preaching and evangelizing. Liars. <laughs> you watched it just like I did. So anyways, it begs the question. There's this thing out there in the world called wisdom, right? And in counseling, if we get to this point with either couples or individuals, uh, I, I, I will ask this question. It really depends on the situation, but I, I, I'm led at, at this point to go, tell me, where do you get your wisdom? Where does it come from? And it's interesting, the variety of answers, and we're not going to go through those, but often it ends up being, well, I don't, I don't know, what do you mean? What, what do you mean? It's like, well, wisdom. So what's the difference between wisdom and knowledge? And I'll explain to them, look, you're here because you're desiring to make a change, something you want to change in your life. And that, that's awesome. I'm here for you. Knowledge can be helpful, but wisdom is going to be your answer. And so we need to differentiate. So what is knowledge? Knowledge is the accumulation, basically, of facts, of information, uh, of skill. That's what knowledge is. So you have people that are skillful guitar players, skillful pool players, Right? And there's a difference between that, having that knowledge, and having wisdom. And wisdom is basically, it includes knowledge, which is why it's confusing. It includes knowledge, but then it's the practical application of that knowledge with good judgment. That's what wisdom is. And often, I think we find ourselves in a predicament in life where we had knowledge, but we weren't able to apply wisdom. And the question where does your wisdom come from? This may be the first time you've ever heard that. Because I don't think it's all that common. I don't think it's a question we ask each other. I think it's one we should or could choose to ask repeatedly of each other. Well, hey, where's your wisdom come from? Share that with me. So the bit of wisdom that we do have often comes from familial situations, growing up, teachers, whatever. 
you know, school life. And we're accumulating knowledge through all of that. We're accumulating information and skills. We're, we're generating cues. But it doesn't necessarily mean that it lives next to wisdom. Because wisdom is really what we're trying to gain. So then in, in, in a biblical context, you know, that's, that's a worldly, but then what is the difference between biblical knowledge and biblical wisdom? Because that's really what we're here for. What, what is it? We're looking for biblical wisdom. And, you know, knowledge is the accumulation of information, of facts, maybe even some skills. And, and that's what it is. It's this accumulation. And, and I, I, I know people, of course, none of them are here or in Manistee today. Uh, they exist in other services. And they have a huge amount of knowledge. And like, man, you start talking and they know the story, they know the chapter, they know the verse, you know, what backs it up, they know what it leads to. And they're awesome resources. I, I love that. And, uh, but I don't see in their life that they're necessarily applying it with good judgment to themselves. They're really good at applying it to someone else, but not to themselves. So I, I think the difference between biblical knowledge is then when we take that next step and we apply it not to the person next to us, but to myself. Here's the biblical wisdom God has given us. And he's asking me to stop looking at the world and stop making excuses and go, I'm going to reveal, you might need to change this about you, Tim. So Tim's going to try to change. Uh, and he's going to show me how, and, and he's, he's going to give me this, uh, this grace because I'm not going to succeed the first time necessarily. And we're going to take that wisdom and we're going to put it into action. And that's what he's asking us to do. That's the difference between biblical knowledge and biblical wisdom. So if it's that simple which I think it is, doesn't mean it's easy, but it's, it's kind of simple, then why don't we all just go do that this afternoon? Why don't we just all go be wise? Wouldn't that be cool? Yeah. Maybe rather than saying, hey, goodbye, have a good day, we say goodbye, be wise. All right? Hello, are you wise? I don't know. So then the next question that we're gonna ask is, well, how do we get it? If that's really what I want, if I desire a change in my life and I need, I need wisdom, and since I'm a follower of Jesus, I need biblical wisdom, not earthly wisdom, because earthly wisdom exists and it shows itself in Judge Judy and the Jerry Springer show. That's earthly wisdom. It's for self-gain and self-profit, that's it. Biblical wisdom is different, so how do we get it? Maybe you've said yes to Jesus. Maybe you've thought about it and haven't. Maybe this is the first time. Maybe you've been a long-time believer. Maybe you've been a long-time follower. Maybe you've been a long-time laborer. I don't know. But I think it's appropriate for each and every one of us at this stage, at this moment, to, to focus this sermon just on self. Okay, how do I receive biblical wisdom? And this is not a prosperity gospel message because I'm not promising you anything but heartache and change right? That's it. It's hard to change. So let's go to the scripture because this story in 1 Kings chapter 3, this is the second part. And we're going to refer to the first part in a moment, but this is the second part. And some of you will be familiar with this. And some of you, this may be your first time. 1 Kings 3, 16 through 28 says, then two women who were prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. One woman said, please, my Lord, this woman and I live in the same house, and I had a baby while she was in the house. 
On the third day after I gave birth, she also had a baby and we were alone. No one else was in the house with us. Just the two of us were there. During the night, this woman's son died because she lay on him. She got up in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while your servant was asleep. She laid him in her arms and she put her dead son in my arms. When I got up in the morning to nurse my son, I discovered he was dead. That morning, when I looked closely at him, I realized that this was not the son I gave birth to. No, the other woman said. My son is the one living. Your son is the dead one. The first woman said, no, your son is the dead one. My son is the living one. So they argued before the king. The king replied, this is Solomon. This woman says, this is my son who is alive and your son is dead. But that woman says, no, your son is dead and my son is alive. The king continued, bring me a sword. So they brought the sword to the king and the king said, cut the living boy in two and give half to one and half to the other. Verse 26, then the woman whose son was alive spoke to the king because she felt great compassion for her son. My Lord, give her the living baby, she said, but please don't have him killed. But the other one said, he will not be mine or yours. Cut him in two. The king responded, give the living baby to the first woman and don't kill him. She is the mother. All Israel heard about the judgment the king had given and they stood in awe of the king because they saw that God's wisdom was in him to carry out justice. And justice, my friends, is an important value for all of us. But we don't always get to decide it. And we don't always exactly know what it is. But King Solomon did. So let's break this story down real quick. So these two women come before the king. Now, I need to put this in perspective. This was in a time when women were less than anything, basically. But prostitutes were the lowest of the low, worse than lepers. So that was the society back in the Old Testament. Now, you know, we've gotten so much better today. You know, we're so much wiser and compassionate. That's facetiousness. I'll stop being snarky. So these two women who have no business being in front of the king, he chose to bring them in and listen. This should tell you miles about who King Solomon is. He's listening to his people, and he's including in his people the lowest of the low, the two prostitutes who come before him and not only deliver this bizarre story, but there are no witnesses and there are no facts. There's no police report. There's no one else chiming in for them. It's just the two. And they begin this story, and it's a tragic story. So this king, who's all-powerful, is listening. He's taking his time and the court's time and the nation's time to listen to these two women. He had a heart because he realized that these were God's daughters that were standing before him. And it's probably the only or one of the only times these women were ever treated that way by the king. Had a heart of compassion. So he listens to the story, and there are very few facts. This one says this, this one says that. What should I do? Well, you know, I put myself in that position, and it's like, well, we'll do a DNA test. Well, it wasn't available back then, because that's what Jerry Springer did. 
Do a DNA test. Who's the father? I don't know. We have no clue. They were prostitutes. It was just some guy acting like guys do, unfortunately. And they left these women in this predicament. And he comes up with a solution that's the most disgusting, horrible solution I've ever heard at the beginning. Bring me a sword. We're going to cut the baby in two. Each get half. Because that's justice. That's fair, right? We, we need it to be fair. Now, we know that there's a life involved, and we know the horror of this, right? Who would ever cut a baby? That's just beyond ridiculous. I'm, I'm, I was reading it, and it's like, man, the Old Testament, sometimes I just hate it. It's just that they're barbaric. It's just like the ruthlessness of their, of their violence is, is just appalling and unending. It, it would get cut out of any movie, thankfully. And then I remember how he got here. See, that's the question is how do we get this biblical wisdom? And he got there somehow, but, you know, what we can understand is, is he had a discerning heart. See, he isn't just this dumb person being an MC. There's something about Solomon. He knows what's going to happen. Now, we're never going to be Solomon. Scripture says very clearly there's going to be one, only one. No, no, there will never be a man on earth, a human like him. So we're not striving to be Solomon. We're striving to be like Solomon. And who is Solomon like? Solomon was like God. It's like Jesus. That's who Solomon was like. So the mother of the live one, her true heart shows, and I believe Solomon knew this ahead of time. And when he makes his suggestion, because he had them bring the sword, and this is the king, he can't lie. He can't, like, do, pull a trick move if both of them are terrible women uh, and cut the baby. He's not going to go that far. So he had to have faith in what's going to happen. And the one woman with her compassion, with her love for her son says, no, I'm, I'm, I'll tell you what, my rights don't matter right here, but my son's life does. This baby's life matters. Matters more than I do. So, so, so let the other woman have the baby just so that they don't die. Self-sacrifice, just ridiculous. Out of the tragedy of a mother rolling over on her baby in the middle of the night, something that could happen to any earthly woman. And there's no fault, there's no blame. It just happened, but it turns into this ridiculous thing. And the other woman says, ah, in the most Jerry Springer way possible. Kill him, cut him in half. Neither of us will get him then. You can't be happy and me sad. We both have to be sad. That's the answer to the question. So how did he get there? Well, we have to go back a little bit. We have to go to verse 7 and 8 out of this same chapter 3. And in 7 and 8, it's this moment when Solomon does something incredible. He says, Lord, my God, you have now made your servant king in my father's David's place. Yet I am just a youth with no experience in leadership. Your servant is among your people. You have chosen a people too many to be counted or numbered. So give your servant a receptive heart to judge your people and to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? Did you catch it? 
Give your servant a listening heart. Help me discern. Give me a listening heart so I can discern what? Good from evil. Because it's such a vast group of people, it'll kill me. But even more than that, he does this spectacular momentary thing that is often overlooked, and it's the most important thing if you desire wisdom. If you desire biblical wisdom, he confesses. It's the very first thing he does. Solomon confesses. What does he confess? Your servant is young. I don't quite know how to do this king thing. It's a huge group of people, your chosen people there. That I'm really glad that you chose us. But when Solomon first confessed, he said, I don't know how. And the really cool thing is you follow this story. I mean, I mean, okay, that's what he did. He's, he's in this conversation with God and he says, hey, I don't know, quite know how to do this king thing. I'm, I'm not sure. He confessed that he didn't know how and he didn't die. That's actually kind of the beginning point. He didn't die. Many of us would rather die than confess because we think confession is going to kill us slowly and painfully. And that's not true, especially when we're confessing before God. And so he goes and he goes, I have this lack. I've never been there before. And it doesn't matter whether you're 12 or 102, you're going to still have things that you've never done before. You're still going to need new wisdom. You're still going to be able to, to need to go and confess that I'm not all-knowing. You are God and I am not. I don't have the experience for this, and I don't know how to apply it. So the first thing he does is confess. Solomon confesses. You know, there's this thing called humility in order to be able to confess. And I know that it was that little joke about he didn't die. But I've been around a minute, and my experience, some of the skills that I've discovered is, is that Someone who is struggling has such a fear of what others will think if they confess that they will allow that to hold them back and strangle their life. And I can watch it from afar and it, part of me is like, that's so pitiful. Why are you doing that? You're claiming the name of Jesus, but you're holding on to this because of your what? Your reputation? You're a child of the king. That's what the reputation is. Not how cool and how good and how smart and all that. No, that you can get all the knowledge you want. But wisdom says confess. And in the North American churches, we don't like that word. Leave that to the Catholics. Now nah, the Catholics got something right there. They might not do it all right, but that's a beautiful place to begin confess. I don't know how to do this. Here's the things that have led me to this spot of unknowing. 
and I desire to know. I want to know what God wants me to do. I want to take that step. And confession gives us the freedom. And the second thing that he did is he asked. He asked God. He says, I don't know how will you provide for me? Intimately, will you provide for me? Now, this goes corporately too. Will you, God, will you provide for the tabernacle? But at this moment, it's individual. Will you provide for me, God? I, I, I confess that I don't know how. And I, got, I, I have to rely on you. So he confesses. And then he asks. And then this third point is part of the second point, but it has to stand alone. What did he ask for? A listening heart. God, in this previous group of verses, comes to Solomon in a vision and says, ask whatever you desire and I'll give it to you. And Solomon says, I, I don't know how, will you give me a receptive, a listening heart. Will you give me a heart like yours, God, so I can discern good from evil? And that's just amazing, because imagine the same question, and with the ability for it to be true, whatever you wish for, and you can't wish for more wishes, whatever your desire is, I will give you on the Jerry Springer show. And what's it going to be on the Judge Judy show? Revenge, most likely. Because they just want to prove the other person's worse than they are. That's, that's the whole goal of the show. And Jerry Springer's show is taking all the knowledge and going, hey, here's today's circus freaks. Right here, let's laugh at them and make money. Let's look at the ludicrousness of the situation. In biblical wisdom, it's going, God, I don't know how. God, I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask, and I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to have faith that you provide, and God, I'm going to ask for a listening heart. Will you take away, because in a listening heart, there's not fear, and there's not anxiety. You know, I, I know there's medical reasons, but there's also a whole lot of biblical reasons, and there's a lot of practical reasons of why anxiety and depression is so rampant in America today. And so many of us, myself included, at, at times want to be the excuse for why I need this and that and why there's nothing I can do, but there is something you could do. You could start with confessing and you could then ask and then you could ask for a discerning heart. Confess, ask, listening heart. And the next thing that he did is exactly where we're at in this story now is he acted. He did something. He put his faith and his desire into action. So God gave him, it said God was pleased with his request. Imagine God feeling that way about you because it's real and it happens. It's your confession, right? Through asking, for asking for a heart like Jesus. And then by acting on whatever part he wants us, God is pleased. That, that is, just imagine what that's like. God in heaven, who is the creator of all things and omnipotent, is looking down at that moment. And I hate that phrase, looking down, because that's like he's judging us all of the time, because I don't think that's it. But he has this love relationship, and he's like, oh, that's it, child. Beautiful. I got gotcha. you. 
I remember one of my brothers named Randy was a pastor up at Faith Reformed Church forever. Um, and he preached sometimes. He didn't preach all the time, but he preached sometime. And he sent me a DVD, uh, which I just listened to because I don't like watching my brother. Um, but I'll listen to him. Um, mostly because him and I have too many bodily movements and habits that are the same. It's like watching myself. And his sermon was entitled, Love is a Verb. And it was one of the best sermons I've ever heard. Because if you think about that, love is a verb. It, it's not a noun and it's not a descriptive word. It's an action word, right? So imagine this, guys. You're driving along, you're in your car with your wife, and you have quiet time. No kids, no problems. You're just driving, and you're both in the, like a really good mood. And the sun is shining. Imagine that. Sun is shining through the leaves, and you're just doing this little fall tour. And you look over, and you see your bride, and it's like, man, she's pretty. She's wonderful. I'm so lucky. And you go, I love you, sweetheart. And she looks at you and goes, how? See, in the other service, one of the other services, I said, I hate that I said that out loud because my wife is going to do that to me now. I promise you we're going to get to a point that she's going to go, how? I, I mean, it, I, I remember saying I love you, and she just looked at me and said, why? It's like, oh, crap. <laughs> I wasn't thinking that far ahead. You know, and, and then so how, how? Because, because love is a verb, and wisdom is a verb. It's, it's action. That's the difference between wisdom and knowledge. And, and wisdom by itself is nothing but wisdom when it is filled with God, the creator, and his son, Jesus Christ. If that's where the wisdom comes from, it's, it has a multiplying effect on the wisdom. And it becomes highly attractional. And the thing that stops us most is confession. I'm just throwing it out there. Those are my observations. I could be very wrong. Been wrong before. This wisdom that Solomon had, it's the greatest wisdom that the world will ever see coming from an earthly man. Jesus comes and doubles down. And he has complete wisdom throughout his life because it's a life of complete action. And he talks the talk about love, and he tells us about love, and he tells us about confession, and he tells us about action, but what he did better than anyone was he lived it perfectly. And so that, that's our goal, is to not be like Solomon, but to be like Jesus. And to be like Jesus, you know, the beginning part of that, if you remember, is going, hey, Jesus, I think you're real. Uh, I, I want some of what you got. Can you help me out? What is it? That's the beginning. That's the first confession. Because the first confession is, I really don't know how to do life. What I've done so far has created turmoil and misery with moments of happiness, but I've never experienced joy. In fact, most of my life, if I write it down, involves depression and anxiety and worry and blah. And I, I, I desire that to be gone because the fruits of the Spirit are completely different than those. 
And Jerry Springer and Judge Judy bring you that list of those. Stop living that way and start looking for wisdom and apply it. And here's the most awesome part of it is that God isn't going to go, okay, here's the wisdom, all the wisdom you need in life. And it includes all the things you need to change about you to be more like Jesus. And he dumps it on you because if he did, it would crush you and kill you. And that's not who God is because he's a loving God with a wise heart, with a listening heart. If God has a listening heart, what is he listening to? You. That's what he's listening to. He desires that relationship, that, that conversation, and he just wants you to listen likewise. And he's going to give you this little part of your life to work on. He's going to say, you know, when your wife says, how do you love me? Stop jumping out of a moving car. Stay in it. Struggle through an answer. If you don't know what she wants to hear, ask her. Say, help me with this. Because nobody's asked me that question ever before in my life, and now I'm scared because you're a woman and you're smart and pretty, and I'm a guy and smelly and dumb, and I don't want to lose you because I'm better with you. Will you tell me how? And still today, there's going to be a guy who leaves this room that would rather jump out of a moving car than admit he doesn't know how. Ah, sorry, guys, man. I hope you don't get that question on the way home. Wives, you do not have permission to use it as a weapon. <laughs> because the guy can ask you the same question. See, what's the wisdom for? Well, earthly wisdom is for our own gratification, our own glorification, our own building upness. That's, that's what the wisdom is for. I mean, think of some of the incredibly wise and or intelligent people that, you know, go throughout history and so often it's like, wow, that guy was a genius. Yeah, he was a genius, but he was a moron because he didn't love Jesus. Yeah, it's impressive. She could sing. Her name was Taylor and she could fill huge stadiums and make billions of dollars. Yeah, but does she know Jesus? She might be wise in music. I don't know if she does or doesn't. That's not a judgment. I'm just saying sometimes we hold people up who don't have what we truly desire. And what we truly desire is this wisdom because out of this wisdom comes a sense of peace and relationship with the creator of the universe through his son, Jesus Christ. And we can go through our day with confidence. Isaac said it best right? Why am I so small? And I wanted to say, genetics. <laughs> but then I realized he wasn't talking about physical size. He's talking about his heart size. And, and there are times, I mean, we can all relate on this. Sorry, bro. That just came out. You can spike my coffee later or something. I don't know. But why am I so small? When it comes to accepting wisdom, one answer, my pride. I still think I know better. I still think I've got this. I still live in a world that don't you tell me what to do. And I've been following Jesus for a minute. I had this privilege of going to a recovery meeting uh, thing with my wife, this little seminar put on. And, I uh, was up in Traverse City, so recovery, that's drugs and alcohol. And 
It involved a bunch of people who are, who are just in treatment, just new. And they were, there were so, several speakers that were learning to tell a part of their story to recovery. Not their story, but just a five-minute segment of their life, something that stood out to them. And these brave people got up, and I'm going to be honest with you. That if I wasn't doing this, that's where I'd be. That's the place I'd be. And there's a reason for that. Because at the bottom, the rawness, these people who don't have a facade to even carry anymore, the facade has been ripped away. Uh, Everything about them is Jerry Springer show and as public as can be. And some of them are in the newspaper and they're there and they're trying to get their life together. And they are the most raw, honest people that say, I don't know how to do this. And I'm scared to death. Because what lies on the outside of this, if it's not sobriety and recovery, it's death. And they believe it. And God bless their strength. And some of them are going to make it and some of them aren't. I don't get to judge that. But but it's like, I want to be with people who want that. And God put me in this church. And many of you want that. The danger is when God continues to bless us over and over and over like the tabernacle has been. We have blessed, been blessed so much more than we deserve with so many times, I, I, I can't even count them anymore, with individuals and, and entire congregation. It's, it's, it's been wild, but we forget because we get so comfortable that if we don't follow this, if we don't take it for real, on the outside, we either have Jesus or we have death. And I want us to grasp that rawness. Your sobriety from sin, we're all sinners, right? And continue to sin. Once you have it for a while, we forget. We have to go back to the basics, and the basics are going back to Scripture of trying to be like Jesus. The basic is, how do I? What? How do I confess? How do I ask? How do I ask for a listening heart, a heart like God's? How do I act through prayer and wise judgment and discernment from the knowledge God has given me? How do we, how do I point to Jesus? The only way. is to seek the king's wisdom. And I beg of you to do that. Let's close in confessing prayer. Father, I confess that we as a congregation sometimes have been treated so well we forget. (coughs) Father, sometimes the hurt and the pain of the current situation screams a lot louder than it seems you do. And sometimes, Father, we rely on our own knowledge and Father, I confess that at times, maybe at this moment, I don't know how. We don't know how. But you're the God that listens. You're the God with a listening heart, listening to our pleas, and you provide. And when we ask for a heart like yours, Father, you're pleased. Thank you for having the discernment and the judgment to give us what we can handle in a matter of change, whatever that change may be. Father, you also have the power 
to compel hearts towards you. Our hearts are drawn to you and that may be happening now and you say, I don't know how to have this Jesus, then ask, ask for this Jesus. Confess you don't know, ask. Father, we praise you for being the owner of cattle on a thousand hills and it's not about money, Father. It's about the amount of wisdom you've got to pass out. It's never ending. May we never stop seeking. In your blessed name, amen.